Welcome to Sustainable Futures, the sustainability podcast from Kantar, the world's leading marketing data and analytics company. In each episode, we speak with senior experts from a wide range of disciplines to bring broad understanding to complex topic areas and shine a light on the most pressing sustainability issues facing business and marketing, all designed to help marketers create sustainable futures for brands and business. So hello and welcome to Kantar's Sustainable Futures podcast. My name is Jonathan Hall and I'm managing partner of Kantar's Sustainable Transformation Practice. Kantar is a world-leading data analytics and consulting business and the Sustainable Transformation Practice works at the intersection of brands, people and sustainability. Now today, uh, I'm very excited because we have the privilege of talking to Stephen Lavery from the Earthshot Prize. Um, the ceremony uh, recently took place in Singapore this year, um, following the events in London and Boston um, on November the 7th. And we'll also be joined by Mark and Trez, who will be introducing themselves shortly from um, the Sustainable Transformation practice. So, Stephen, I'm going to start with you. Can you just uh, um, introduce yourself and, um, and then we'll go around and then I'll come back to you to say a bit more about the Earthshot Prize. Sure. So I'm Stephen Lavery and I'm Senior Impact and Insights Manager at the Earthshot Prize. I've worked in insight roles for about 15 years now and actually coincidentally started my career at Kantar World Panel uh, all those years ago before finding my way into non-profit roles. So it's very nice to be here today. Brilliant. Thank you, Stephen. Trez. Hi, I'm Tress. I'm based in Singapore. I lead the sustainable transformation practice here. Work with clients to really kind of you know drive change in the region. Um, if the, if people think that consumers don't care in Asia, it's absolutely not true. They do, but I think how do we then help them engage and unlock is where um, my role really comes in, partnering with our clients in the region. And Mark. Hello, uh, I'm Mark Fisher. So I'm part of Kantar's Global Sustainable Transformation Practice. Um, I have the pleasure of looking after the partnership that we have with the Earthshot Prize. Um, we've been working together for the last uh, year and a half or so. And of course, I do that amongst uh, other responsibilities. Great. Thank you all. So, so Stephen, let's let's start at the beginning. Could you just explain to your to our listeners a bit about the Earthshot Prize? Because as we were saying just before we went on air, you know, there are some people who know it very well, the, the world's premier climate um, awards, but others remarkably don't uh, will know you less well. So maybe you could just talk to us a, a bit about what the prize is. Sure. So the Earthshot Prize is the most ambitious environmental prize in history. And I think a good place to start is with our founding story. Um, so in 2019, Prince William was in Namibia and he was visiting uh, some really incredibly successful wildlife conservation projects. And he noticed that as successful as they were, they weren't being scaled and they weren't being replicated uh, particularly well. And they were quite patchy. There was lots of small ones and they weren't really joining up. Um, he also noticed a disconnect between the optimism and, and the determination he saw on the ground and the despair and the pessimism that he saw in news headlines. And this broader narrative was leading to anxiety. It was leading to despondency for, for many people, especially younger people. Um, so that was kind of in his mind after, after his trip. And he thought he might be in a unique position to help. He looked back at some of the, the big challenges that we faced in the past. And he was inspired by President John F. Kennedy's moonshot in the 1960s, which at the time was a, a seemingly impossible task of getting man on the moon and bringing him home safely within 10 years. 
And obviously, we know now that it was a success despite all the odds. It went on to, to create a, an innovation revolution over that decade. It changed public opinion on what was possible, uh, inspired people all around the world. So the Earthshot Prize was born out of that idea of, of taking innovation, combining it with optimism and, and focusing it in on the most pressing challenge of our time, which is the, the need to repair our planet. So essentially, that was, our, that was where we came from. And we're a global prize and platform. We're centered around five great challenges, which we call the Earth Shots. So these are the key changes that we know need to happen for us to move to a more sustainable future. And I'll just give you the, the five quickly. So protect and restore nature, clean our air, revive our oceans, build a waste-free world, and fix our climate. So there are five Earth Shots. And there are five different but connected challenges, which if achieved, once achieved, will put us back on course. So we go, we search the globe for working prototypes that are already having success against one or more of these earth shots and could have huge impact if they were scaled or reproduced. We award five winners per year, one for each earth shot, and each of those five winners receives a million pound each. Um, so that's our that's our winners, and we don't just focus on the winners. We have a top 15 finalists each year who also get support from us and our global alliance of partners to bring their ideas to scale. And that will look different for each finalist depending on what they need. For some, it might be about the storytelling and marketing to raise awareness of their solution. For some, it might be access to strategic or, or operational support, access to funders, access to new markets. Really, it depends what they need. And we're business model agnostic, which makes us pretty unique. Our finalists have been governments, they've been cities, they've been startups, for-profits, non-profits, grassroots organizations. It's a real broad spectrum of different types of, of organizations, organizations that we support. So we have this sort of annual cycle that goes from our nominations process, where we receive about a thousand nominations per year. We filter that down to a top 15 who become our finalists. And then we announce five winners each year at an award ceremony, which, which you mentioned, Jonathan. And the awards are held in a different region each year. And they act as our almost our World Cup moment. They bring awareness. They bring focus to the prize. Um, so year one was in London. Year two was in USA. And our third ceremony is just taking place this week in Singapore. And a lot of the work happens after the awards for us. The awards are a big moment where everyone pays attention to but a lot of the work happens after that where we are essentially working with the finalists throughout the year to help them scale up so that's the innovation side of things and i'll just quickly talk about the the storytelling side of things because i think that's going to be pretty uh, relevant to to your audience as well um so innovation is all about taking those finalists finding them scaling them up but we want to do more than just award achievement and scale innovation. We want to use our global platform to showcase and spotlight the solutions and, and the people behind them. Um, and the aim with that is really to inspire the public and show them that change is happening and that progress is being made. And that's where our storytelling team and our storytelling side of things come in. Uh, we have a theory of change, which is urgency plus optimism equals action. I'll say that again, urgency plus optimism equals action. And we believe that urgency without optimism leads to despair and despondency. And we, we've seen a lot of that in the past. We see a lot of doom and gloom in the headlines. But on the other side, 
optimism without urgency leads to complacency because people think the job's already done and they don't need to, to act. So we want to drive both of those things. We want to drive the optimism and we want to drive the urgency at a global scale because that's what will get people to notice and that's what will uh, spark people to act. So we put the finalists front and centre of everything that we do. We tell their stories and ideally we give people a, a better vision, a vision of a better life and a better future, not a, not a worse one. Thank you, Stephen, for for that detail and, and so so clear. I'm I'm really interested in the the optimism point, obviously, because I think so many people, uh, and particularly young people, as we know, um, become so uh, embroiled in the you know the, the negative news stories around the climate catastrophe, which you which you described. And I know Christiana Figueres is the chair of the board, I believe. Um, she has an organisation called Global Optimism and a, a podcast called Outrage and Optimism. Where she talks about how you need to travel through outrage to get to optimism in order to start finding the solutions. So rather than um, you know getting stuck on the fact of the the, the major challenges that we face, um, I just wanted to to ask a couple of things. You know, so you are quite unique in um, the uh, prizes that you give, as you said, to governments, cities, you know, not for profit startups. How do you manage to reach all of those different organizations and make them want to be a part of this? We have a, an amazing global network of nominators all around the world. So that was a key part of the prize when we set it up. We have about 350 nominators at the minute and we, we sort of, we find new ones each year and we change that. And they're a real blend of their philanthropists, their foundations, their nonprofit organizations. We have lots of charities that are in our nominators group. We have uh, for-profits, so there we have universities. So we have this really diverse group of nominators and they're all over the world. And we make sure that they're really a, a geographic spread and they essentially go out and search for us. So they put out calls through their network, their networks, through their channels, through their social media platforms. And they are the key to finding this real diverse group of nominations you know they get our voice out there and getting the nominations actually has been really easy i don't know if it's just the the brand and the and that we've managed to you know get ourselves out there and become well known but you know in those circles of people who are working in innovation in the environmental sector they know about us they know about the prestige of the prize they know how we've supported the the previous finalists and uh, our nomination numbers have grown each year so actually finding finding the nominations and getting the nominations is, has been particularly easy and as i said we have we've had about a thousand each year and it's grown in year two and year three as well amazing you're doing an amazing job and i just want to pick up on the storytelling piece as well i know sir david attenborough who's who's a, an expert that is also involved with the Earthshot prize talked about how um the uh climate change is now a communications challenge and and you talked about storytelling someone else i heard described Earthshot Prizes, the Oscars of, of climate. Just, um, you know, how important is that, you know, getting those big stars on stage and having this sort of celebrity event on an annual basis? For us, it's really important. It sets us apart from just being, a, you know, a, a venture capital type firm or, you know, something like that. It's, it's, it gives us a unique place uh, in, in that ecosystem of environmental organizations. And it really does bring excitement and glamour and brings attention to what we do and we can sort of track it through the year with social media coverage we see it 
to take a massive spike around the awards and around that awards week. So it's really important just for bringing people in, especially people who maybe aren't as close to the environmental movement. They're not the, the kind of actives when we talk about segmentation. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a bit more. So they're not that really environmentally conscious group. You need to do more than just talk about environmental stuff to bring those people in. And I think once you've got that wider mass market, if that's the right word, of, of people in, you can talk about the environmental stuff then, but you need something else to attract them. And I think what the awards ceremony and the glitz and the glamour and the celebs do is bring those people in who wouldn't otherwise maybe pay as much attention to something like a, a, an Earthshot Prize. Great. And, and you've provided a perfect segue there to my next question, Stephen, about how Cantel became involved and, and you know you referenced the audiences. Could you just talk a bit about that and then maybe Mark could pick up from you? Sure. So whenever I joined the Earthshot Prize, I think there had already been some contact, Jonathan, with yourself and, and a couple of my colleagues. Um, and at the time, I didn't even know there was a, a Cantar sustainability team. So that was a nice surprise to, to find out. And we had an early conversation, Jonathan, about audience and comms but you know it was probably about a year and a half ago now um, at the time we were we are a small team at the time we were an even smaller team at the Earthshot Prize we were roughly at the end of year one um, we were in kind of full learning mode we were growing as an organization we were growing our marketing team so we were starting to put more content out into the world but it wasn't very particularly focused we didn't have a clear target audience in mind we were kind of trying to appeal to, to everyone and it was really hard then to say what was working and what wasn't working. Um, so that quickly led us down a conversation about segments. And I had done a lot of audience segmentation work in previous roles. I knew that it could be really effective if used well. And I, I think my initial ask to you was, we'd like a build, to build a, a segmentation based on environmental sustainability can you help? And it turned out you'd already done all the all the work at Kantar. You had a global sustainability segment already in place. Um, it was very aligned with what we were trying to do. It was attitudinal, which was really important for me to, to have an attitudinal segmentation. Um, it was based around sustainability. It was a bit broader because it was sustainability generally rather than environmental sustainability, but you know, environmental sustainability was within that. Um, and then it was also a global segmentation, which was really key for us because of the nature of the prize, because we move around to different regions, whatever lens we look at to understand our audience has to work for UK as well as USA, as well as Southeast Asia and wherever else we end up. So we essentially made a decision that we would ad ad adopt your segmentation and use that rather than reinvent the wheel and try and try and create our own. So I guess that's how we started the conversation, how we kind of got down that uh, pathway of using your segmentation. And maybe, maybe Mark, you want to add yeah. Maybe I just touch on a little bit about how we ended up uh, at Cantar having a sustainability segmentation. Um, so, so of course at Cantar we we know uh, very clearly how powerful data can be and be a, a positive force for for good really. So something that we've invested in for for a few years now is a is a global study about. Um, people's views about sustainability that we've done in, in kind of 35 countries or so uh, and that's really to help our clients and our partners as well start with strong foundational insights for, for their sector and, and, and brand about sustainable sustainability so with with that data set you know one of the things that we we uh, did three years ago and it's been been really important for lots of our clients and partners now is this sustainability segmentation um, and we've got three years of data for that consistently now, that, which is which is great. And we've built that really because we we know that not everybody cares about sustainability in the same way, or takes 
action in the same way. So we really needed to be able to understand different groups of people across those those two uh, two dynamics for uh, for our clients and partners to, to to understand those people and understand what those people think about um, their their brands and their their actions, so that we can influence them to uh, to to behave more sustainability uh, more sustainably. Um, of course, the the Earthshot Prize was was very much on our our radar, as uh, as Stephen uh, mentioned that that him and Jonathan had been had been talking, um, and it, you know we 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 very much saw it as an organisation that that we wanted to to work with, making a, you know positive impact in the world. We really share that vision about the importance of of optimism to 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 make positive change. So making that data set uh, available for for the Earthshot Prize and and scaling the impact that, that that data set could have in in the world was something that we were very keen to to support um, and will continue doing. Great, thank you both. And, and Mark, could you just go a, a bit deeper for us and and give listeners a sense of the work we've collaborated on on segment definition? Yeah, absolutely. So. So we started with that 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 global study that I was talking about. The sustainability sector index is what we uh, is what we call it, uh, and we we really did a bit of a deep dive in that data, focusing on uh, on the different different segments. So all of them there's four segments in in there. So uh, actives, the the most engaged, dismissers, the least engaged, and then two segments in between, the believers and the and the considerers. So we started understanding and going through those those segments in, in a lot of detail across several countries. So key countries for the Airshot Prize, both in existing countries operating in, uh, key countries for the, the future and, and storytelling plans uh, going forward for the uh, for the, uh, the the several years that the, the Airshot Prize would be continuing for. And we were looking at some, some relatively simple things, but also some kind of slightly more advanced things within the segment. So we started off with something simple like the, the sizes of them, understanding the the attitudes and behaviors of those different segments. But we also went went deeper by crossing it with with other data sets and assets that we've got within Kantar, uh, including uh, media habits, for example. So we've got a, a study called the uh, the TGI, which is all about media habits. So, so looking at the segments via that lens was uh, was an important way of of identifying actually which groups of people could the the Earthshot Prize uh, realistically uh, influence in different channels that they uh, they kind of have access to. So that was a key part. Then we we really used all that data as a, a, a foundational piece to to inform and, and build the the strategy. So maybe uh, maybe Steve can tell us a little bit more about the kind of strategic process um, used to identify which of those four segments where the Airshot Prize would, would focus on. Sure. Um, as as you're probably guessing from from Mark's answer, there was a lot of data, which was great from my point of view. It was really good just to get my hands on all that information and, and do a real deep dive into the segments. Um, so there was a lot of time, I think we spent, Mark, just on pulling together the different strands, the different data sources, and uh, to get a real rounded picture of the segmentation and the segments and what was important to them. Um, and maybe worth touching on the segments. So there were four segments, and you've alluded to this, Mark, but on one end, we have the actives, they're very positive, they're very engaged on sustainability issues, and about three in 10 people globally fall into the active segment. On the other end, you've got the dismissers, so they're not necessarily climate deniers, but they're sort of apathetic to everything sustainability, and they make up, I think it's just over one in 10 people. So they're the extremes, but most people fall into the 
two middle segments, the believers or the considerers. They tend to be much more on the fence. They they don't feel particularly strongly about environmental issues and, and environmental sustainability, and in some cases don't really understand the problem or, or what they need to do. Um, so we made a strategic decision to focus on one of those middle groups, which are the considerers. They're the largest segment globally. They're, they're not sure if they can make a difference. They often lack in an optimism. So they felt like a group that we could have a really big impact on as the Earthshot Prize, especially with our theory of change in mind. Um, and we knew as well that if we want to look at this as a decade-long mission, we want to change public opinion, um, we want to bring people on the journey with us, we need to reach beyond the actives and we need to reach beyond the people who are already on, on board. They're already optimistic. So um, that was the big part of the rationale for focusing on the considerers. And since around this time last year, we have been focusing almost exclusively on that segment um, and especially the 70% or so of considerers who are the Gen Z and millennial uh, groups. So the, the 40 and under group, that's our kind of sweet spot. And that's what we've been focusing on. So we've done quite a bit of paid media uh, work to target our comms at, the, at that group. We carried out some test brand awareness campaigns with, uh, with the UK considerers over the summer. And we worked with you guys on that. Um, and that was about testing different formats, different messaging, and just seeing what lands so that we were able to kind of refine our comms in the lead up to um, the, the current campaign, which is running through Singapore and into 2024. And the big focus on that is telling the stories of the 2023 finalist cohort, but also driving viewership of the awards in Singapore, which is which has been happening this week, because um, we know that's a real key moment in the year to bring people in and get them engaged. Um, so we've been doing that. We've done some qual uh, this year with, with Trez and the team. We have built segments into our annual brand tracker. So we have a brand tracker survey that allows us to go deeper into the um, the, the segments and what they think about the Earthshot Prize, levels of awareness, levels of optimism, levels of urgency, all that sort of stuff. Um, that's going into field next week. So that's going to be really good to get the results back and see uh, you know, how people think about us. And we've also just recently built the segmentation questions into our newsletter sign up so people who are signing up for our newsletter we split them into segments and we've been able to start looking at our own supporters through the, that lens as well and that's been really interesting actually so what we find is about 50 percent of the people that we've segmented so far are actives and only around 20 percent are considerers so it kind of reinforces what we thought was happening was that we were reaching lots of actives in those first couple of years um, and now we know we need to shift slightly and and, and really focus on the considerers and we've got lots of thoughts about what we can do better in terms of a b testing and uh, some more advanced comms stuff we can do with our newsletter as well brilliant thank you steve so let's you know you've just had the the ceremony hot off the press let's just talk a bit more about the the activation piece the considerers in, in singapore trez how, how did we support on that i think first obviously fantastic this is how steven has kind of really integrated all the pieces right but it's really kind of basis on the segmentation as steven's talked about something really simple you know using the segmentation we're able to find the considerers and active so for you know kind of understanding whether the communications that you know that was being built was engaging and how else could we make it even more you know engaging impactful as the as the award ceremony comes to singapore was really speaking to considerers and actives we wanted to cover both even though the priorities considerers was also important to understand how actives are really engaging and therefore that could inform you know how we would then um, uh, further kind of sharpen the comms and simply it was really storytelling building kind of story circles 
with these considerers in Singapore and Indonesia, having video diaries and really having in-depth conversations, right? And ultimately to really understand how do you talk about how do they relate to these, you know, big environmental issues to their daily lives? That it was simply what we did. And I think, you know, I hope Stephen found it, you know, insightful in terms of how to then sharpen and, and take it forward. It's It's been really interesting. Um, this was our first piece of qual work focused on, on the considerers. And we've it was been really useful in helping us refine our messaging uh, in the run up to Singapore. And I think it it might be worth talking through a couple of the learnings from that, if if that's all right. So um, one of the things that we found out was that our kind of mission and our our broader, like how the prize works and that we choose winners and that we have earth shots, that all landed really well. People loved it. People really got it. And it was seen as a really positive thing and it was quite different. Um, So that was amazing. We also found out that some of our messages work better than others. So for example, in Southeast Asia, if we talk about climate change, if we talk about global warming, um, s- some of the respondents saw that as a Western thing. They were thinking, oh, that's a that's a London thing, that's a Paris thing, that's not especially relevant to us. But when we talked about air pollution, when we talked about uh, pollution in rivers, when we talked about issues that they had seen and felt and felt you know close to them and felt real, that really piqued their interest. So there was a learning there about what we talk about, making it really feel local and feel relevant to them, um, which can be done through the content, but also through the the, the, the messenger and the, who's delivering that message. Um, so that's kind of leading to a lot of the stuff we've, we're doing at the minute around Singapore, where there's a lot of co-creating. We're co-creating content with local finalists, for example. Um, we're having local influencers create content on our behalf. We have a we have a uh, someone on the green carpet who's basically a, a social media influencer interviewing people on the green carpet who's local. So we've done stuff like that. We're playing around with different content and different concepts and that was really out of that insight that has come through the the testing that um you know the message needs to change and needs to be local and relevant for whichever region you're in so i'd love to build on that more in future you know we we've done great testing in southeast asia we're going to be in different regions each year i'd love to do more testing in different regions and and almost build up a, a bank of insights of like general principles of what works regardless of where we go but also what are the nuances and what are the the complexities in each region yeah that piece is so important isn't it you know moving away from sort of abstract concepts of sustainability even the word itself can be sort of confusing for people and really trying to understand the personal impact uh, at a local level you know me and my world my family what's important to me rather than the world out there and i just want to close on uh, with a question on that Stephen. so you know as we've discussed, these massive environmental challenges, the catastrophe that we see, um, you know, happening with events across the world this year, um, they can seem, you know, absolutely overwhelming. So what advice would you give to our listeners or, or you know, to, to brands that want to make a difference, but, you know, they, they just don't know where to start? So I'm probably going to give an answer that's Kind of similar to an answer you've been given before in this podcast, which I, which I've heard. So, um, my my thoughts on this are that we're, we're all individuals, right? So, as individuals, it's it's very easy to be overwhelmed, and if you only see what's in the news, or you think that you're just one person in your country or town or organisation, it's easy to feel like the problem is is big and complex and and out of your control. Um, and my advice then to people that feel particularly anxious or overwhelmed is is just to, to act and do something and it doesn't need to be 
grand. It doesn't need to change the world. The key is just focusing on something that's within your control. Rather than looking at all the big stuff that's out there that you can't control, what can you do? Um, and that can be really small. And the act of doing something will, will give a sense of agency and, and get you started. So it might be as simple as recycling your packaging or your clothes or your electrics or uh, taking a bus or a walk instead of, a, of driving a car, cutting down on meat, starting an environmental group in your workplace, um, small things really. And then the second thing would be vote with your wallet. Um, we know lots of innovation is happening. We see it, especially in our in our world where we're working with brands and we're working with organizations. We see that new products and services are being created all the time. Um, sometimes they come with a cost premium. And I hear a lot of people pushing back ownership of the problem to companies. But ultimately, we as individuals drive demand for their products and their services. And if you're a listener of this podcast, you're probably in the top 10% of the global population in terms of wealth. So if you can afford it, be an early adopter of those green products and services that will bring costs down and make them more accessible for, for others. And then my, my third point would be, you know, if, if point two is vote with your wallet, point three is vote for politicians. So vote for the politicians who have got a green agenda, put pressure on the politicians who don't email your local representative, your local MP, ask them what they're doing in your area to tackle the you know, any of the earth shots around climate or pollution or, or nature loss, um, that's probably the biggest lever that we can we can pull long term. Um, and of course, if you want to learn more about Earthshot Prize and you want some daily optimism, uh, follow us, sign up for our newsletter, have a look at what our finalists are doing and some of the amazing solutions that they've got. Um, and uh, and if you think your organization might be interested in, in supporting us or our finalists more directly, please get in touch. There's more opportunities to do that as well. That's great. Thank you, Stephen. I mean, just the act of, of doing something, I think, can can help, can't it? Um, alleviate the, the anxiety that I think a, a lot of people feel. And we, we each have leverage, as you say, and the opportunity to send demand signals out to um, decision makers, be they businesses or um, politicians. Absolutely. I think it's, it, it's really important. Um, and I, I just to give you an example from myself, I... So in, in a previous role, I got involved in the environment. We had an eco group and I got involved in that and I didn't really have any you know, knowledge about the, the topic. I just kind of went along because I had a, a vague interest and I got more and more involved and kind of then because I was involved, I had to learn more about the topic. I started reading up on it. I read Bill Gates' book on uh, climate, which is fantastic. Um, and that just kind of got me a, a much greater understanding of, of what was happening and what the, what the challenges were and what some of the solutions were. And that sort of led me down a path which which eventually got into you know me working at the Earth Shop Prize. But it literally started with me joining a, a group of work which wasn't very well organized and we were just trying to influence some of the senior decision makers. So, you know, start with whatever you can do and that that will lead to more optimism, that that act of just doing something. Brilliant. Thank you. If you didn't know the Earthshot Prize, uh, hopefully you know a lot more now and feel inspired. So great. Thank you. Great to, to hear more. And, you know, the journey um, that we've been on together of partnering with, uh, you know, the Earthshot Prize and Cantos. So thank you, Stephen, Trez and Mark, and looking forward to the next stage of the journey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all the work and all the support that the sustainability team have given us over the last year or so. You've been listening to Sustainable Futures, a podcast from Kantar. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com. 
If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. <laughs>